This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Williams. And today on the show, we're going to be learning a thing or two about a highly successful Yupik farm in McKinney, Texas. So on the show today, I am chatting with Megan from Pure Land Farm in McKinney, Texas, and how really two people, her and her dad, came from non-agriculture backgrounds. Basically, she says that they were foodies, now they are turned farmers. And so how they went from non-farmers to having a very successful UPIC operation, what that process was like from starting out and figuring out what works best for their UPIC farm, you know, where people can come and visit, they pay a certain amount, and they can pick however much produce they can fit in a bucket usually. And so Megan will tell us what that process was like going through the whole research process of figuring out different UPIC strategies and all that good stuff, and also the importance of how you need to listen to your customers' needs and how Megan and her family were like, you know what, maybe we don't need to grow everything. Let's just figure out exactly what our customers want. And then how that kind of plays into different strategies with UPIC operations, whether it's like, you know, having signups online or using a booking app, which Megan and her family now use, which has become extremely useful for their operation. And also we'll talk about the importance of building relationships with those customers that come and tour the farm and how you can have some really great conversations on the farm, talk about your farming practices and how it's such a great win-win and you can really connect with those consumers. And of course, for anybody curious to start a UPIC, maybe you want to do that, which is obviously an amazing thing if you have a farm. Megan is currently writing a book, which she will share all of her tips and tricks on having a great UPIC operation. She said she couldn't really find a lot of great resources out there, so she took upon herself to write a book and share all the insights she has. So we'll talk about that as well. This is so fun chatting with Megan. They've got an amazing UPIC farm. If you're in McKinney, Texas, go check them out. Um, I think you will enjoy it. So hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening. All right. Well, Megan, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to chat with you. I think we found each other over on Facebook. You are with Pure Land Organic. So kind of before we start talking about that, tell us a little bit about your background. Yes, actually, uh, I have to call it Pure Land Farm. I got a sternly written letter from the USDA letting me know I did not have permission to use the O word. So um, we do use all organic methods, but we go by Pure Land Farm now. Mm. Okay, that's awesome. So what's the whole story behind Pure Land Farm? So my dad and I, back in 2012, uh, I was managing a pediatric oncology research lab here in Dallas at UT Southwestern Medical Center. So I had been in um, biotech before that. Okay. My dad was coming off of, he had recently retired from a 40-something year career in um, petroleum engineering, primarily overseas. So we spent all of my, most of my upbringing overseas until I went to college. And uh, my parents stayed overseas several years after that. So kind of international people in that way. Um, in 2012, we were living here in Dallas, all of us together. And we just kind of got the wild hair to invest in some land. That was the first thought was everybody's moving to Texas. That has only mm. gotten uh, more prominent in the last few years. Uh, and we really kind of studied, my husband, my dad, and I really kind of studied the um, where the sprawl was going to be and looked for a piece of land. And we have always been food people. So we've always gardened. We've always been really invested in what we're cooking. You know, we're just one of those families that's like planning dinner when we're eating lunch and uh, all of that. And fresh, organic, tasty, above all, food is just really important to us. So... I used to have one of those, and this is, you know, 15 years ago now. In California, where we lived before we moved to Texas, I had one of those delivery services where you got a bag of mixed vegetables, right, gleaned from several farms around the area. And I loved it because not only was it pretty fresh, interesting stuff, it was stuff that I sometimes had never heard of. I mean, it really made me a better cook. It made me made my palate more interesting. We just really loved getting that. And there was nothing like that here in Dallas. So our first thought was, let's grow food. How hard can it be? So we said, if we have this piece of land, we will grow food and we will do like a CSA and, uh, you know, dole it out to people like so many farmers do. And it, it, as we started to learn how to grow, because I'm a scientist, he's an engineer, you know, I say that one scientist and one engineer has the promise of making one decent farmer, right? <laughs> I like that. Okay. Uh, it was a steep learning curve, right? It takes, a, it takes several years to really get your sea legs and how to grow stuff. So we kind of scratch. We're like, let's just go to farmer's markets and, and figure this out. And, it, you know, the years kind of started passing. We were trying to grow year round and we just really struggled to pay ourselves. So everything that we were making at the market, you know, you only want to bring the amount of stuff that you can sell, mm -hmm. right? If you are outpacing the amount of people that are going to come to the market that you're going to, you need to split up and go to multiple markets, right? Okay. So we could do that between him and I, I'd go to one, he'd go to the other. If you still have stuff left, or if you're just barely selling out and maybe you're topping out at a thousand bucks at each of these markets, it's just not enough. So we were just finding that it, it, it did not seem possible to make a living doing the farmer's market route. So about five years ago, we planted a patch of blackberries 
And we said, we will do a little bit of a you pick and we'll let people come out to the farm. You know, it took us a while to figure out insurance and all of the legalities and all that. Once we figured it out, we said people will come out and pick those and we'll just take everything else to market that it, it you know, blackberries have a good price. They're thornless. It'll be great. And as soon as people got there that first summer to pick the berries, they were like, are, are those tomatoes? When do we get to start picking those? And what about those? And they wanted to pick everything. And we just really were not prepared for that at all. So we took the next winter, rearranged everything. You know, when you're a market gardener, you want to have stuff year round, right? You don't want to have a ton of stuff in the summer and just be gone. You don't, you want to have, a, you know, a reasonable amount on your table throughout the year. So you build a following you have consistent income, all of that. You do not want to have, it's why we stagger plantings, right? You don't mm -hmm. want to have all of your crop at once. For pick your own, it's the opposite. We wanted to have as much ready at one time so that when people came out to pick, they had as much variety as possible to pick from because they'll pick from as wide a variety as you give them. So long story short, we uh, kind of just dove in with both feet, all four feet, the next spring, and we've really just been building on it since. The only thing limiting our potential right now is just the challenges of growing, especially down. I mean, we didn't have rain down here in North Texas from about the beginning of May until the fall this past summer. So it's, uh, it's getting more and more challenging. I can imagine that's that's a lot to unpack there. Your backgrounds are super fascinating. Coming from biotech and petroleum, like not very much involved in ag, but then you wound up buying a farm and obviously following you on Facebook and I mean, even just emailing you, you've told us that you guys have been super duper successful. Uh, what would you say kind of helped you guys coming from like a non-ag background? What really helped you? Well, I don't know, like find just this, this perfect situation for y'all. Like what, what would you kind of equate that to? I really attribute that to listening to what the customers wanted. Mm, okay. You know, they asked us at the market, people would ask us, can I come out? Oh, I want to show my kids, you know? And then when they did start coming out for the berries, they're like, I want to pick more. I want to pick more. I want to, can you grow that? Can you, you know? So to the best of our abilities, we really just tried to be open-minded and say, okay, yes, we can try that. Yes, we can try that. And, you know, we started from a position that was not necessarily pigeonholed into what a farm is. Mm, and I okay. feel like so many farms, new farmers go straight to the farmer's market because that's what they know. That's what, that's what market gardeners do. They grow their stuff and they take it to the farmer's market. And the agritourism with the pick your own has just been so much more profitable for us. I feel like we're reaching people on a much deeper level than we ever were at the farmer's market and bringing them into the whole food movement. And it's a fraction of the work for mm -hmm. over a fraction of the year. We do yeah. about, it's about five to six months of full-time farming for the both of us. And uh, I mean, the profits are just about anywhere between triple and quadruple what we our best farmer's market year. I mean, that's pretty convincing that obviously like, yeah, let's not do the farmer's market. Let's just do this U-Pick because it's a lot more profitable. And also it's a great way to connect farmers and consumers, obviously, um, having them come out to, you know, tour the farm and all that good stuff, which, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And I'm super excited to dive into that. But 
kind of real quick, what's the whole food and farming scene in Dallas, especially since everybody has been going to Texas over the past year or so? I mean, what's that scene like right now and how have you seen it change? We are fortunate to live in McKinney, which has always been, it's just about 25 miles north of Dallas, straight north. It has always been a little bit of the kind of darling foodie hub of DFW. There are a bunch of farms. It's really pretty country up here. Um, As far as how it's really changed over the years, I I don't know that there's anything that's unique that I haven't seen in other, that or that I wouldn't have expected to see in other places. A lot of the people who were farming when we were, starting out are no longer doing it, the kind of market gardener things. Mm. And honestly, if we were still going to farmer's markets and had not found the pick your own, we wouldn't still be doing it either. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't even know where things are going to land post COVID. I know more than one farm that just couldn't really make it through. So I think we're kind of in a, I don't feel like as many people are entering the space as there used to be. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that I think, the you pick model can really help with. It's much quicker to get profitable and it's a much lower cost to entry. You know, I feel like those kinds of things can really help get new farmers involved. I don't feel like we're, um, we have the momentum that we did say 10 years ago. Right. That makes sense. And, and you kind of brought up COVID there. So what year did y'all start the you pick? 2018, 19, 2021, 20, 2018. Okay, 2018. So a few years pre-COVID, and I mean, COVID happened 2020. I mean, still quote unquote kind of ongoing now. But I mean, did you see kind of a resurgence in people wanting to get out, I guess, kind of post the big COVID way? Because I've heard so many stories where farmers just saw like an explosion. So what was that like for y'all? Explosion. Really? Okay. 2020, the thing that really helped us is that it happened to be a good growing season. So we had, it was a good growing season. Our blackberries, we have about two acres of thornless blackberries and they were at the, the kind of the best producing year, like the third year of their life. And it was one of the only safe, fun things to do that people Mm -hmm. felt like they could do. So we use a booking system. We don't just have it open so that you have to actually book, you know, we'll do time slots of 9am, 10am, 11am and say, we'll do a hundred people in each of those time slots and people pre-book them so that we end up with, you know, the right amount of people for the right amount of produce, no lines, that kind of thing. Um, And during COVID, I had somebody (laughs) say, your tickets to your farm are the thing in this massive mom Facebook group. (laughs) We would open like that. We would have to set a time, like the tickets to the farm will open at 10 a.m. on Thursday for the weekend. And they'd be gone in moments, like uh, 10 seconds, they'd be gone. And this woman was like, you just, your farm is the hot ticket. Everybody wants a ticket. It hasn't stayed quite that hot, but we're still getting more than enough people. Well, that's awesome. I mean, that's cool. I mean, it sounds like... your your you pick found an audience like with that mom's Facebook group and it was just like so popular. That's so cool. Moms and kids are really our bread and butter. Really? Boys and kids. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's win-win because we oh, want yeah. to get the kids out as much as we can. We want to plant little seeds in their brains, mm-hmm. get their hands in the dirt, get them thinking about where food comes from early. Gotcha. So yeah, let's talk more about your you pick. Like 
how did you guys stumble upon kind of the booking process you were talking about versus like I know a bunch of places I'm here in North Florida and we've got a couple of small UPIC operations where you pay a certain amount of money, you buy a ticket and you get a bucket and you can pick however much you want. So what kind of iterations did you go through until you stumbled upon this one? Yeah, continuous improvement for sure. We kind of we try not to switch streams during a season but at the end we do a pretty thorough autopsy and like what worked what didn't what can we do better we started off with just admission at the farm so you booked a spot online but you actually paid at the farm and that didn't work so great because we ended up with a lot of no shows Mm. so we said okay you've got to book and pay it through the website that really decreased the no shows um The booking, honestly, it's a good problem to have and it's silly to complain about, but it took me several years to find a booking app that did what I needed it to do because our, our spots were so popular, especially the weekend, right? Saturday and Sunday. I ended up having a lot of people really upset (laughs) because they they didn't even see the spots open. So I, it would be like 10 AM, the spots would open. We'd be like, you know, and they're full within seconds. And then 40 angry emails. Can not even see them open? Like you, how dare you? It's not fair. I'm like, I know there's just really nothing I could do. So finding a booking app that allowed us to set an automatic time for them to open, allowed us to start wait lists, you know, mm. that, that kind of stuff is just more expensive. Um, but it's well worth it for us. Really, the booking thing, I mean, I can't speak highly enough about it. I'll tell you the reason that we first went towards it in the first place. There is another pick-your-own farm, and it's just a berry farm uh, not far away. And coincidentally, they opened the same year that we did. Hmm. And we did not plan on any kind of booking stuff. But their season, they grow strawberries. Their season is about in April, and we open for our season towards the end of May. So we were like, oh, good. We can kind of watch, you know, see what happens up there. And what happened was people are absolutely rabid for strawberry picking. I don't Mm. know how it is where you are, but in North Texas, strawberry picking, my God, if you can grow them, it just prints money. If you can grow them, we can't. We've tried several times. But they would have a line of cars, hundreds of cars long, to the point where they would have to shut the gate like in the middle of the car line of people who started lining up an hour before they were allowed to line up. And then everybody gets their buckets and they're running through the field and, you know, there's pushing and shoving. And we were just like this thousands of people, right? (laughs) It is mass chaos. A a melee. (laughs) And dad and I were just like, Oh no, no, we can't do that. That's, we don't, that's not how we operate. So we went the polar opposite direction, which takes time and effort, but we manage, like I print a list of the people who are coming and we check them in by name now. It's not not as cumbersome as it seems when you're only dealing with, you know, 200 to 300 people a day. And I have a fantastic gal who functions as our greeter. It's really not as cumbersome as it seems. It's worth it for the guest as well, because they want to know they have a spot. They want to know that there's going to be stuff there when they get there to pick. Right? Oh yeah. I so, mean, you, you don't want to buy tickets, do all the scheduling and then get there and there's nothing to pick. I mean, that would be sure. not fun at all. Much less. Do you want to put your two year old and your four year old in the car, drive an hour to a farm and not even be able to get in? No. Yeah. Very true. 
So that's I mean, how we landed on that. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of experimentation to find out what works for you, but also what works for the people in your community. Like if there's a lot of people using a booking app, getting on that and seeing if it works out or, you know, our area is kind of rural. I'm, I'm sure a booking app could work, but I don't know if that would be the perfect thing for like a you pick around here. So I guess it's just kind of figuring out your market, which I mean, it clearly seems like you guys have done down to a T. It's working. <laughs> That's how <laughs> <it's> it. <laughs> it's working. It's working. My my biggest, our, the only limitation we really have is production and heat. And really? I don't know how okay. that you have. It's, you know, this year it was 105 in May and it stayed there all summer. So by the end of our season, it was very hard to get people to come out. And like, I still got squash. I still got zucchini please come big but i don't blame you because it's really hot <laughs> so what do you do in those instances where maybe you don't have a lot of people come out one weekend but you've still got a ton of produce i mean do you keep it there for the next weekend or whatever or do you pick it package it and do something with it have you ever tried to keep a zucchini on the plant until the next weekend <laughs> i have not but i can imagine it's difficult <laughs> So we do uh, glean, you have to set time aside to really the things that need to come off that get too big that people miss are squash, cucumbers. We'll either donate, we work with a couple of groups here in McKinney that will take um, produce, or we compost it. Um, But the nice thing about the pick your own is that I can just, if, if I didn't get picked out on Wednesday, and I wasn't going to be open Thursday, I could be open Thursday. I can open up some spots and I'm guaranteed to get at least a few people. I mean, by a few, I mean, I probably get a hundred that are willing to like, oh, they opened a new day, I'll come out. So you don't have to wait. This was one of my problems with the farmer's market is if you pick a cantaloupe on Sunday, because for some reason they always ripen on Sunday. Hmm. Have you ever tried to get that cantaloupe to market on Saturday? It's mush. It just, it cannot last that long. So with the U-Pick, we have the flexibility to, if there's a ton of stuff and it's coming into the weekend and I see it on Friday, there's a ton of stuff. I just add more spots. There you go. It's nice that those, I mean, that sort of model has a lot of adaptability. Like you're saying, I mean, you can go out there, check the crops and say, Hey, we've got a lot of stuff that's going to be ripe on Tuesday. Let's open it up. And you have those hardcore fans, I guess that are like, hey, they're opened up on Tuesday. Let's drop everything and let's go pick some cantaloupe or tomatoes or blueberries or whatever. Yeah, that's why I say work sucks. Come to the farm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Get some good stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. So you you kind of alluded to it earlier, and I really want to talk about this. You can't say pure land organic. You got to say pure land farms. So why why did that happen? What's going on there? Well, the USDA, if you are not certified organic. You cannot use the word organic anywhere in your marketing hmm. whatsoever. So I, we did not have to change our company name and we didn't have to change our website. They allowed us to keep those. But for any of my marketing, so what we go by and the O word is not allowed to appear on my website anywhere, on my Facebook. And I always tell people because they ask, come out and I'll tell you. Are you organic? Come out and I'll tell you. And when you get there, you see bugs, you see disease, you know, you see bits of cover crop and whatever. It's pretty obvious that we are. But, um, you know, I just, the last thing I wanted to do was finally be making money and have to give it to the USDA in a fine, right? For something yeah. as good as a word. It's, 
it's not my hill to die on. So. I know, I know that's a very complicated process. And I interviewed a lady, she's an apple grower in Washington state and she grows both organic and conventional. Well, she couldn't sell as organic one year because all of their fences, they replaced one fence post with a, a log that was pressure treated. And because that one fence post, all of their inputs, everything else was organic, but that one fence post screwed them up. And I mean, it sucks. They were still doing all the processes to stay organic, except for that one fence post that wasn't near a tree. So it's yeah. very interesting about all those loopholes and everything. We have always found that our customers don't care. Mm. They especially, they, they cared more at the farmer's market. But to have people out to the farm where they can see it and they're experiencing it, they're talking to me and they're talking to dad and they're asking, you know, showing us pictures of their garden and saying like, what is this bug? What do I do for that? You know, it's, it's really obvious and evident that we are only using organic methods and we, you know, we establish some trust there, but so it's not to say that they don't care. They don't care about the label. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's fun. Like you're saying, they can go out there and see what's going on. And the best part about it, they can have a conversation with you and you can explain why you chose those practices, what you're doing. I mean, what kind of conversations has that led to? I mean, have you changed any opinions? Has it been really eye opening for consumers? You know, I just actually started to conduct a survey. I have about 250 responses right now. So this is this is live. Um, <laughs> where I, I, I want to know what they value the most about mm-hmm. being at the farm. I want to know what motivates them to come out to our farm. So I asked, what are the most important things you're looking for when you come to the farm? And the number one answer with 80, 84% about was supporting local agriculture and personal interactions with a farmer. That's awesome. That's huge. Isn't that awesome? I know. It made me really excited too. It took me by surprise. And then the second one was fresh produce and organic produce was a little bit further down there. But it, as it turns out, a personal relationship with a farmer and supporting local local agriculture is a really highly motivating thing for the people that come out to see us. And it shows. At the farmer's market, we would get thanked. You know, every once in a while, you get like a true believer who comes by your table and says, like, thank you for doing this. Thank you for, <laughs> for growing food. I just appreciate it so much. At the U-Pick, it's every single day, all day, every day. Thank you for letting us come out. Thank you for showing my kid how to pick a carrot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's really cool. I mean, that's obviously there's a lot of hard work when it goes into farming. So that's great. You can have those conversations and I don't know. You get that justification, that thank you for for all the stuff you and your family are doing. That's awesome. I'm sure that's very uplifting through all the struggles of creating this business. It's very fulfilling. <laughs> it is. On this survey, I had uh, I put another uh, another one of the questions was what I I can't remember. Cut it. Um, on the survey, I had also asked what your favorite thing about coming was, and that one of the top answers was the produce is really good quality. And I screenshotted that and sent it to my dad because when you're getting your face kicked in, in July and it's Mm. 110 degrees and everything is falling apart and sucks, like nine out of 10 people still think our produce is really nice. (laughs) It matters. (laughs) That hard work in the off season you, you you look at that screenshot, you're like, all right, what we're doing is worth it. We don't need to get down because consumers are going to enjoy it and they're going to have all these nice things to say. Yes. <laughs> okay. 
we we clutch onto this for sure. I bet. So in those in those off months, how long is the off season? How much are you you know preparing for the next season? But also, I don't know, just kind of researching and seeing if there's any trends, if there's any new crops you want to try. So what's all going through that? that kind of a down period, which I, I saw on Facebook and Instagram, you guys are down till May, 2023. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. We will typically open in about for the picking season in the middle of May. And we pick for about eight weeks. Okay. That's our window here in North Texas. So it's going to be, we're about an eight, we're a seven B or an eight A. Um, we have our last freeze somewhere around the last week of March. So we have tomatoes in the ground by the first week of April, right? And we're picking tomatoes in June. So what we do is we have everything that we grow. And there are lots of things that we don't grow that we get asked to grow that don't make the list, either because they don't grow well for us in our unique soil, pests, conditions, all of that, or they don't make enough money. We don't grow any loss leaders. We're only growing things that are in demand that people are willing to pay a good price for. Mm. Um, So we start with that has whittled down our crops to, you know, a 12 or 13 or 14 item list, which seems to be enough variety. We're kind of like, it would be nice to just, uh, and we talk about it all the time, let it all go and just do blackberries. But even then the blackberries aren't, aren't 100% reliable, right? This is the beauty of, a diversified operation. We had a, pretty much most of Texas had a tomato crop failure last mm. year, this past summer because of the drought. But I had the best carrots I've ever had. I had the best onions I've ever had, you know, so these things wash out. We start all of our transplants ourselves. Um, that happens in about the middle of February. So I don't really start full time on the farm until the beginning of March, my dad is retired. God love him. He's out there all year. He's doing <laughs> projects. You know, he's in his happy place. There's he's no people. It. He's it's he's having a good time. He's on the tractor. He's got a podcast on. Don't bother him. He's having a good time. Um, and I'll go out for, you know, planting garlic, planting onions, the kind of things that, that we need to do together. But other than that, I really won't be out there until middle of February to beginning of March. And then through, you know, all, all the tear out, by the end of July. So the rest of the year, I do other things. I manage a, I'm the executive director of a nonprofit here in McKinney that funds sustainable causes. So it dovetails obviously really nicely. I'm fortunate that they give me all the space I need to do the farm during the summer. Uh, And then I spend more time on the foundation during the winter. And I also do some contract work also on the side. Yeah, well, there you go. So not bad. I mean, that's pretty good. I've always wondered like how you go about, you know, planning for the upcoming growing season, making sure everything's good. I mean, and it's also great that you have those established crops that you know you're going to grow instead of spreading yourself too thin and growing everything, which I feel like, is that kind of a typical thing that a lot of you pick operations when they're starting out? Do they try to just grow everything under the sun and that kind of winds up failing? I don't know another you pick that that grows diversified the way that we do. I know Mm. they exist. I don't know any personally. Mm. I tried to look for resources on doing this. When we started up after we did that blackberry year and people wanted to pick everything and we're like, okay, how does that work? I couldn't find any resources on how to do it. Hence we're writing a book about it because I'm such an evangelist for the concept for farmers. I don't 
I will say that as a market gardener, that is what we tried to do. Like just, we have to grow everything because we want to be able to attract people to our table. You know, what if a, you know, pink daikon radish is the one thing that they needed and you'll never be able to sell them to anybody else. But with the UPIC, we have, it's completely driven by the customer. If the customer is picking something clean, Mm-hmm. Right. We're, we're consistently monitoring over the season and then we'll do a deep dive in the off season. But we're consistently monitoring what's getting picked clean and what's not. Why? What was there just way too much? Mm. Is it too, can we not if we can't add more pickers and it's too productive, plant less. Right. If it's something that is that productive and makes good money, like it's, it's a particularly profitable or, or well producing, add more people. I didn't say that the way I wanted to. Cut. Cut. You're good. <laughs> um, I want to phrase this. So we're consistently monitoring what's getting picked clean and what's not and why. And there are a bunch of things that you could do to help a crop get picked clean. The demand is the, the main thing that we're looking at, right? If there isn't a lot of demand for, like, for example, radishes, I'm not even planting them at all this year. We did it for the appearance of variety, but there's just not nearly enough demand. It mm-hmm. makes way more sense to plant more of something that gets picked clean every week. You know what I mean? Yeah. The thing that the UPIC has given us is data. Every pound of produce that leaves our farm hits a scale at the checkout and is logged in our transaction software. So that when everybody leaves, I can run a report and then I know to the hundredths place how many pounds of carrots were harvested, you know, how many pounds of this and that. So we have tremendous data that we never had before to be able to go down to the row foot and figure out the revenue per foot. That's that's handy to have. Okay. It's incredibly handy. So now, you know, and we kind of go off of a in a best year, this is, was the revenue per foot. In an average year, this was the revenue per foot. And that can just vary wildly from environmental things. And we can use that to lay out our field for the next year, right? So we can kind of hit the revenue numbers that we want because we know that tomatoes make whatever, seven bucks a linear foot and carrots make nine bucks or whatever. Okay, well, the carrots got picked clean, so we might as well plant another row and lose something that didn't or made less money. Yeah, there you go. I mean, mean, all about that data, like you were saying, it's handy that you have that and you can see really kind of break it down mathematically. Like this happened, this worked out well. If we have too many radishes, we can cut that back. That's really handy. And I'm glad you talked about it. You alluded to it perfectly. This was the segue for my next question. Uh, Your book, you're working on a book now because like you said earlier, you couldn't find like great resources out there for starting a UPIC. So What's the whole process of that? What's your inspiration behind it? And yeah, how, how is it going so far? It's going. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out I'm not as fast a writer as I hoped I would be, but that's okay. Um, we will get there. I pretty much, I have all winter and I'm, I'm really going to focus over the holiday season and my quiet months, right? January and February, try to have it turned in. Um, by the beginning of March. But yeah, I signed a contract with Acres USA to publish this book and they really believe in it. It's basically a business book 
for starting a pick your own like ours. Mm -hmm. So all of the things that all the lessons and the things that we have figured out and the mistakes we made over the last five years, we just want to share it. You know, farmers work really hard and I know intensely in my soul what it's like to be bunching carrots on the floor of your garage at 11 p.m. for the farmer's market the next day because you've Mm -hmm. been working for three days straight to take a thousand bucks of produce to the farmer's market and it rains right no money then you've got to hustle produce all over town it's hard it's very very hard and the the pick your own has been just an absolute game changer for us in terms of the work-life balance, the profitability. I mean, just, and, and I, I truly believe it is much more effective at pushing the food, food movement because we're bringing people to the farm. The power of an immersive, visceral, fun experience. And what I said earlier that these people are starving for experiences like this, especially post-COVID. People are starving for connection and community. A friend of mine, said she saw a little clip of me on the news uh, in an unrelated thing. And she said she jumped up and went, that's my farmer. (laughs) That's awesome. It was awesome. And I was like, I'm your farmer. Yeah, man. I thought that was really awesome. That's really, we really have cultivated this incredible community of regulars and we're bringing more in every summer. That's so cool. And so what are kind of the main, I mean, without giving anything away in the book, um, but but what are some key themes that you're going to cover? I mean, how to market? Are you going to cover, you know, how to figure out the growing processes that work for you? Like, what are some key things you're going to cover? Really, it's going to focus on the business side. I don't, we don't pretend to have the growing stuff figured out. Hmm. And there are so many good books that do. Right. There's no I don't need to write another book about the importance of soil health, let alone I am not qualified to do it. That's a continuous improvement thing that we're working on um, in using these great resources in these other books. So it's going to start off with kind of the philosophical stuff. Why agritourism? It's not scary. This is why because every farmer that I talk to and they're like, wow, you guys are doing really well. I'm like, yes, you should do it, too. And they're like, I don't want to have people on my farm. It's, it's so worth it, but when it's the, they don't know what to expect. So I want to tell them what to expect. These are the things that are going to happen. This is how to lay out your field, not in a growing sense, but in a sort of relative proportions of stuff. You know, you want to make sure you've got wide rows. You want to make sure you've got extra time to weed. You, you know, you have to spend time on making it really hospitable. Things that you would not do, I would never have done if it was just me and dad picking. I would not spend, you know, 20 hours the second week of March weeding carrots. But because people are coming out, they don't know what green thing to pull to get a (laughs) carrot, right? Like I do. So you have to really spend a lot of time thinking through, I've never, the eyes of a person who has never been to a farm before. We take for granted the knowledge that's just in our bones now about growing food that it's not even the kids, full-grown adults. You can't underestimate the unfamiliarity that people have with gardening. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk a, a little bit about that. I do get into what I see are, I, I'm trying to avoid the farmer's market crowd coming after me, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty anti-farmer's market for farmers. I just, it's not, it doesn't work. It, at least it doesn't work for us. Um, 
we will talk about the marketing for sure. Talk about sort of the bigger picture of running your season, right? You need a tent, you need tables, you know, basically what would a pick your own in a box be? Yeah. Um, building your following. And uh, I'm, I'm going to touch on other agritourism ventures, but I'm not going to talk about like hay rides and pumpkin patches where the pumpkins are brought in from three states over and arranged in piles. You know, I don't, I know that's called agritourism, but I don't get the agri in that very much. Yeah, I, I, I see a lot of farmers kind of doing that. I mean, obviously, whatever works out for you. But I feel like if you can make your operation as unique as possible and not just like a cookie cutter you pick where you have a pumpkin patch and a hayride, just a couple of things, I feel like you can add more value to your operation and have those repeat customers. Is that right? For sure. That is definitely true. We get asked, our customers ask, why don't you do a pumpkin patch? And I'm like, have you ever been to a real pumpkin patch where the pumpkins are being grown? where there are squash bugs and cucumber beetles and the leaves are decayed because it's the, the pumpkins turn orange at the end of the pumpkin's life. You know, there aren't that many pumpkin patches that are actual pumpkin patches. Mm -hmm. No, very true. The other thing that doesn't work for us in doing anything in the fall, because we, we do get asked about that all the time, is our summer stuff really aligns nicely with the end of the school year. Mm. Kids are out. It's during the summer. I don't know that we would get the same draw in in a non-summer, you know, kids out situation. But pumpkins take, what, 110 days, 130? I would have to give up space in my summer planting because I've got a limited field. I would have to give up space in my summer planting to plant those pumpkins. And I would then probably have to charge, I don't know, 30 bucks a pumpkin for it to make financial sense where I would have made more if I had focused, if I had spent that row space on my summer plants. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, that does, that does. I, and I mean, the pumpkins are cool, but if they're going to be that much work, and also if they're not going to work in your environment that you are growing them, like in your state or wherever, also don't do it. I mean. You don't have to do it all. Yeah. I, I think that's a key thing that people should remember. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do everything on your on your operation. Just find out what works for you and what works for your you pick. We grow food. We feed people. That's what we do. We grow food. And Dad and I made this commitment early on that we're not an amusement park. Mm. Although it's a fun activity, we're not going into food trucks. We're not getting freezers of beef from other farmers and doing that whole thing. Like we are... You pick your own farm where you come and pick food. We do some field trips in the, um, in the. I, I only do them at the beginning of the season before we get busy. It just gets way too busy during the picking season. So we do them all in April and those are popular and fun and everybody comes back during the picking season. But other uh, than that, we just really, we just focus. I, yeah, I bet those field trips are really fun. I mean... Do you ever have like, I mean, what's, what's it like? Do they have an allotment where maybe it's like a five gallon bucket you can pick? Like what's the, what's the regulation there? Kind of. We do a different price per pound per crop. Okay. We have talked about that though. And uh, we need to do the math. I'm curious if, if I did the math on, you know, what does an average, what, well, I know that my average pick is about 40 bucks, 35 to 40 bucks. As opposed to a $5 sale at the farmer's market, right? Yeah. But the blackberries are some $7 a pound. And then it goes down to about onions at $2 a pound. 
Because we're not having too many people at once, we do get a little bit of line, but we've found that, you know, if you've got about a hundred people on site picking, they will pick for about an hour. They get a green um, grocery basket. I mean, it's an old, it's a shopping basket. Oh, yeah. So the can fall through, they get a different little berry basket for the berries. So they don't get crushed, but they, they get a green shopping basket. They'll go down. They get scissors, snip off their squash. They'll say, you know, put the flowers and the tomatoes on the top, pick them last so they don't get squished. When they come up to the checkout, we sort, we have kind of some tables and say, sort your stuff by crop. We do it as they come up to us and we weigh the crops individually. And then the transaction software has got the, um, you know, the prices and the per pound. And that's what we're able to just run reports on after. Okay, that's handy. So yeah, if they have tomatoes, I mean, you can already specify what it is per pound or vice versa, mm-hmm. onions or yes, anything. Yes, it's built in. That's awesome. That's super, that's super, super handy. It's, quick, it's QuickBooks if you want to know. I mean, I don't know if okay. I'm a lot like I'm buzz marketing QuickBooks or not. You can cut it if you want, but it's QuickBooks. It's great. QuickBooks has a card reader that nobody knows about because they're terrible at marketing their products <laughs> and they have terrible customer service. But this card reader, it's called the Go Payment. And it is completely integrated with your QuickBooks. So there's no like square and all those, you know, you have to, you have to tra- translate basically what you're putting in there. This is one-to-one. My products are seamlessly in my system already. That's really handy that it's one tool. And like you said, you're not having to integrate square with QuickBooks because I'm sure, I'm sure for a lot of smaller farmers out there, the technology side of it would be a huge hassle. I mean, I'm sure it's expensive to get QuickBooks and then Square and then everything else. So it's great that it's there, although they're not marketing it very well, but it's good that that tool is there for anybody if they have QuickBooks. I'm trying to figure out like at at what, how, how in the process of writing a book and something that you want to be relatively timeless, but I find those books that, that don't give you specifics really frustrating, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to walk the, trying to walk. And I also don't want to buzz market QuickBooks. I don't work for QuickBooks, but it works. The product works. Um, so I'm trying to figure out where that line is. <laughs> yeah. that That's a very interesting one. Like, I mean, I feel like on, in, on social media, on the internet, there's so many creators out there that, you know, they're just fluffing up something to sell something later on. And you're trying to figure out, you know, I just want good information. I don't want fluff. I want something helpful. And that's difficult now because there's so much content out there. There's so much content and a lot of it's not any good. Yeah. Yeah. It can be really hard to, to find the useful information. When you posted in that Market Gardener success group looking for agritourism, uh, that group is gold, right? Because they're real farmers. That's the first place I go and search if uh, to see if a question is already been answered. And when they answer, you know, it's like, okay, these are answers I can take seriously. If you post in like a Facebook gardening group, okay, the answers are 99% garbage. <laughs> Accurate. Yeah. So you really have to, finding these these trusted sources of information, they're few and far between, but when you found them, man, hold on. Yeah, I was looking at different Facebook groups and I finally stumbled on on the agritourism one. I was like, holy cow, this is perfect. And I just got accepted, posted in there. And I think I got like four or five responses, which are, which are great, which I'm in like varying degrees of like trying to schedule yeah. it out. So it's perfect. I mean, if you can find it, if you can look for it, usually you can find like a great audience. It just kind of takes some, you know, digging through the weeds a little bit. Yeah. 
for sure. That's awesome. Well, Megan, this has been awesome. I'm super excited about your your book. Whenever it comes out, we'll, we'll have to have you on again after the book comes out. I'm definitely going to pick up a copy. Um, yeah, it would be awesome. It'll be next. Uh, we're shooting for next fall. Okay. Not bad. Yeah, I don't have a UPIC, but I would love to learn more about UPICs. And I think this is going to be a great resource, you know, for any farmers out there trying to do a UPIC. But if people want to learn more about um, Pure Land Farms, if they want to follow you guys, if they're in Texas, Where's the best places to go to kind of follow you guys and see what's going on? You can check out the website. It's purelandorganic.com. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. So those are the easiest ways to get me. Uh, Megan at purelandorganic.com. You can always email me if you want to talk about Pick Your Own and agritourism. I will talk to anybody about it. It's so It is the way of the future, man. I really believe it. Well, that's perfect. I have got family in San Antonio, so we're going to have to go visit them sometime soon. Um, in the spring and go visit you guys and see what's going on. But um, I think that'll be super fun. Texas is a big state. It's still pretty far. <laughs> it's, it's still pretty big. Yeah. I mean, San Ant- we drove, we went a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we drove from San Antonio to Dallas, to Waco, to Austin. And it was a lot of driving. I mean, I was like, oh, it's going to be a couple hours. No, it, it was a lot of driving. Texas is huge. Uh-huh. You're still in the Metroplex in a couple of hours. Sure. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right. Well, Megan, thanks so much for being on. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member. Organic growth helps us a ton and helps us reach more and more people. And don't forget, subscribe over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you might listen to your podcasts. So hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We will see you next week with a brand new episode.